So I've joked before in this space that most of my pop culture illustrations are at least 30 years old, which I now am realizing since the, the announcement of my retirement is probably another reason I ought to retire. <laughs> giving away to someone younger who knows more about what's going on now. But I'm going to start with an illustration from a Seinfeld episode that is one of my favorites. If you're familiar with this show, Elaine is the kind of the center character of this particular episode, and she happens to be dating a man. And in a conversation early in the episode, she says, you know, I think he's a born-again Christian uh, because I borrowed his car the other day and all of the presets on the radio dial are preset to Christian music stations. And so I, I think he's a Christian. And sure enough, she finds out that that's indeed true because after going home with him one night on a date and spending the night there, they both wake up the next morning and he can't find his newspaper out in the hallway of his apartment building. And he notices that there's a newspaper on his neighbor's, uh, in front of his neighbor's front door. And he says, Elaine, go take that guy's newspaper and bring it back here. She says, why? You go take it. And he says, I can't take it. He said, you're going to hell anyway. You should go take it. <laughs> it goes on as Seinfeld does, but that's all I need to say because that punchline is what I wanted to talk about. It's kind of a funny and overstated example of a truth about religion. And for the most part, it is representative of a world wherein religion divides us and puts up walls between us of insiders and, and outsiders, of Jews and Gentiles, of pure and impure, of saved and unsaved, of us and them. And identifying these categories and those on the inside feel comfortable that they're on the inside and don't have any trouble asking those on the outside to go steal the newspaper of their neighbor. And yet, even though that truth is there about historically what religion does, and it doesn't matter what religion it is, it always defaults to a process where you define the wall that's around you and holding you in because you're a part of the inside. And it's a place from which you can kind of look over the wall and say, oh, pity for those who are not in here. It's what religion does, irrespective of the religion, irrespective of the time and place. It's what we default toward, the insiders and the outsiders. But there's a recurrent theme in scripture that this seems to fight against. That both things are there. There are things like Jesus' comment about sheep and goats and being cast into outer darkness where there's gnashing of teeth. And, and yet there is this theme that runs through scripture that's a kind of universal theme that speaks more of what happens when God gathers in everyone. This recurrent theme that speaks of union, of a, a gathering in of humanity. It's Isaiah's 60s 
theme of arising and shining for, for the light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. And, and then the description of the, of the nations of the earth coming into Jerusalem. It's a theme in the last book of the Bible, in the second to the last chapter of the Bible in Revelation 21, when the gates of the new Jerusalem open and all nations stream in and those gates are never shut by day, it says, but there is no night in this new kingdom. So those gates are always open. And I think the story of Pentecost is another one of those universalizing kinds of visions of the work of Christ. It's an example of this theme. It's a taste maybe on that day of things to come. Because what happens is that there is this moment when the disciples and the entourage of Jesus are gathered in that upper room and they experience the rush of wind and the, the coming of that, that which appears to be flames of fire that touches them and they begin to speak in these different languages. And this group of uneducated Galileans begin to speak after being touched by the Holy Spirit in languages that they couldn't possibly have known. They begin to speak, and the people around are drawn to this and say, how is it that we can hear each of us in our own language the words that are coming from the mouths of these uneducated Galileans? Giving witness to universal truth is what they were doing giving witness to the universal truth that can be heard universally. And as usual, some were amazed and some were perplexed as, and saying, what does this mean? And some scoffed and said, they're just drunk, let them be. The point I think of all of this is that barriers had for the moment come down and Luke is reporting that to us. A new wind was blowing, and new things were happening, and people were amazed by that. What was happening was that something was being deconstructed. The barriers of language and culture were being deconstructed, torn down, and that moment made irrelevant to the universality of, of the gospel. But in actuality, that deconstruction was sort of an excavation, a kind of wiping away of something to reveal something that had been true since the beginning of time. It's a manifestation of the grace that was at the beginning and will now and, and ever shall be. Grace, the grace by which we were created, is also the grace by which we are saved. What Paul celebrates in Ephesians 2 is this same thing as Kristen read to us just a few minutes ago, that it's grace that tears down the dividing walls between us. Paul is addressing primarily a group of Jewish believers and saying, but now Gentiles are coming into the fold and it is grace that saves all of us. That grace delivers us, as Paul says, into this place of peace. 
that, that it's actually God's peace, God's presence, God's best that knocks down this dividing wall, that insiders and outsiders are made one and built together, interestingly enough, into a dwelling place for God. That God not only holds us in God's heart, but we hold God in ours. And so you look at Ephesians 2, 13 to 22, and I just want to read that again, because this chapter is really worth listening to. Uh, really, the whole book of Ephesians is, but this chapter is phenomenal. And as I read verses 13 through 22, listen to this. But now in Christ, you who were once far off, the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. There are words of deconstruction in this passage, the broken down dividing wall, the abolished law and the commandments, no longer strangers and aliens, the definitions of your outsides are irrelevant, says Paul. There's instead one new humanity in place of the two, putting to death hostility. Now that is a marvelous vision for the world. There's deconstruction in this passage, but there's also a new structure, something that's built. There's peace rather than hostility. There's a reconciliation of both groups to God in one body. All are declared citizens and members of the household of God and built together on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, Old and New Testaments, in other words. New structure, knit together, holy temple that becomes the dwelling place of God. What holds us together are not, as we sometimes fall prey to believing, what holds us together are not the walls of religion that we build in order to keep the malign forces out and distinguish ourselves. What holds us together is the grace of God that leads us into a reality of peace, God's best, what we were created to enjoy, shalom, perfect peace, the realization of God's intent for us that was present at creation and made concrete 
in the life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. He's talking about deconstruction and excavation on one hand, a dismantling of the structures we have built and situations we have created, and restoration and reconciliation and reconstruction of what God created us to enjoy. And the good news, the gospel, is always expressed in using a combination of these two realities. Isaiah 40 is a great place to go for this, where he sings of the leveling of the landscape, the leveling of the mountains and the raising up of the valleys, this massively, in some senses, could be seen as destructive earthquake that evens things out, that performs the service of a great excavation that creates a road, however, on which God makes his way to his people. Or Jeremiah, who's told by God that the word he preaches, the good news he delivers, will both pluck up and pull down and build and plant. And the primary tool in this process, both parts of this process, as Paul says, is grace. God's extension of himself in absolute unmerited kindness towards his creation. Grace is the great leveler that confirms that all humanity stands in need. And grace is the great builder that encourages us to draw near to the light of God. And so I just want to close with Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 4 and following. But God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Let's pray. Turn our eyes to focus on the great leveler and great builder. Turn our eyes to see the majesty, the might, the gentleness, and the peace of your grace. And help us to rest in that and so find the confidence we need to reflect your light in all that we are and all that we do to our world. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.